This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm a career coach and a writer, and my new book is called Find Your Happy at Work. It's about moving past boredom and frustration and creating more success and satisfaction in your work life. Today, we're talking about intuition and how cultivating intuition may enhance your career and your life. Our guest is Karen Hager. She's an intuitive guy who started out as an actor and a publishing professional and then went on to study in an Episcopal seminary. But instead of being called to the ministry, she stepped away to forge her own career path. Now she does private sessions with individuals who are looking for intuitive guidance to help them trust their inner selves. She also has a popular radio show and podcast called Out of the Fog, and she finds many ways to teach people about how to cultivate intuition. Karen will talk about how intuition and compassion are critical to your career, and she'll share tips about how you can strengthen your intuitive skills and your awareness. Karen, you have created a really interesting career focused on intuitive guidance, but you started out on a different kind of path. Uh, You um, started studying at an Episcopal seminary, right? Could you tell us how you uh, made that decision and, and how your career path evolved. We're always so interested at Jazzed About Work to, to hear people's own career paths before we get into some of the topics we get into. Uh, I think I would say I've had an eclectic path. Um, I started out as a as a child. I discovered a love for theater and creativity and story. And so I worked as an actor as a child and into young adulthood. And also I worked in publishing. Gosh, I had a kind of a short sojourn in a kite store in San Francisco's Chinatown. I was a bad fit for that job, Bev, because I didn't know anything about kites and I didn't care to learn. So I wasn't there. Uh (laughs) Not a successful venture for me. Um, And in my 30s, I had a what felt to me like a spiritual awakening, a, a deep sense of wanting to get closer to the way that the divine expresses itself in in everyday life, in my regular life, putting on my socks, brushing my teeth, just life. And those, the questions and the feelings that that brought up in me led me to the Episcopal Church. And from there, after some time in the Episcopal Church, I was um, put forward and was able to do some work there. And that landed me in a place where I was sent to seminary to train to become an Episcopal priest. In that church, it's a very long process. Um, My time in seminary was made longer because I was working full-time as I went to seminary. So I was working in the publishing industry in San Francisco and also going to seminary. When I got almost to the end of that time, and it was transformational, my time there, I met so many cool people. I got really good training as a counselor. I learned a lot about theology and liturgy and all kinds of stuff, got to work and teach in tons of different kinds of communities. At the end of my time in seminary, I realized that I was being called to something more expansive, but I didn't know what it was. 
And I left seminary, which is one of the bravest things I think I've ever done because that path is laid out for you. You follow it to the end. There were people wanting me to finish the program. Um, I left because I knew it wasn't right for me. And after that, Bev, there were a few years where I continued to work in publishing. Our first son came to us. Um, and I, it wasn't until almost 10, gosh, 10 years later in my early forties that I had the experiences that led me to start to take my gifts and my training and use it toward providing intuitive listening and guidance for other people. So I've done this all backwards and it certainly is not what I thought I would do when I grew up. Well, I love people who have interesting career paths in that they go in different directions. I think it's it's like having a diverse circle of friends. If you have a diverse circle of experiences and particularly working experience where you really put yourself into it, uh, it's possible to, to trigger insights that you wouldn't otherwise have. So just perhaps the diversity is a part of what brought you to where you are. So where are you? I, um, I know we've spoken before and I've seen your website and I've heard you on the radio, but I don't feel um, confident that I could describe um, to our listeners what you do and what your career is today. Well, let's, okay, let's see how well I do, because it's one of the things that's always led me is I have an insatiable curiosity. And the, the heart of what I do is to open space for people who are looking for one-on-one -on -one intuitive guidance about their path. That's different than fortune telling. It's different from, um, I don't know, you will meet a handsome stranger or in an hour and a half answer the uh -huh. door and it's your partner. It's different than that. What I provide is intuitive guidance for people who are in transition. So people whose lives are changing, whose hearts are changing, who want more, want something different. And one of the things that I can do with my intuitive ability is kind of shine a big pa uh, flashlight on their life path and help them see what's coming up what their choices are, because I'm all about free will choice, what their choices are and how they might shape that path to get to the results or the outcome that they're looking for. And the heart of my work is being one-on-one one -on -one with people, and I do a lot of private sessions every year, um, who are looking for that kind of guidance. I also have taught intuitive development for well over a decade now. I offer lots of other classes. Um, I try to teach and offer different modalities of connecting with what I'm going to call the divine, with spirit, so that people who want to grow can find fun, light ways to do that. So those are some of the things that I do. I'm also a mom to two amazing man-children. Um, I've been married to my partner for, I don't know, 36 years now. And I do, I've built this business, I think, from my curiosity and my genuine desire to hear other people's stories and connect with them. Well, I um, want to focus in today on uh, career issues because, of course, we're all about career here at Jazz About Work. But I, I think intuition plays such a role in leadership and getting along with your colleagues and professional development. You know, I'm a, an executive and a career coach, and I came to this after a number of careers myself, including 
being a lawyer. And I had, and as a lawyer, I had to kind of train myself not to go with my gut, to focus very clearly on the law and, you know, the analytical issues that the clients wanted. And when I made the transition to being a coach, I started noticing these little impulses that I guess I always had, I guess intuition, you know, things, you know, good questions and things like that. I, I, I noticed I had to kind of give myself permission to notice what I'd noticed. Is, is that common in people that lots of careers, people actually try to squelch their intuition and, and it can interrupt their ability to connect with their colleagues and everybody else? I, yes, I think that's very well said. Um, we are often taught to or told to ignore our, our intuition because it's weird or it's vague or it's not businesslike or it's not structured enough. When the truth is, Bev, that when we open up to our natural intuitive awareness, we can assess opportunities we can feel into our natural way of knowing and understanding people. So for example, if I'm leading a team and we're working on a project, I can use my intuitive ability, not to read anybody's mind, but to look at, look at this person and say, I wonder if they might perform better in this kind of role. I'm noticing when I really let myself sit with and listen to my coworker that their unhappiness about being passed over for that promotion, for example, may be affecting their way, um, their way that they perform on this initiative that we're working on. We can use our intuition to gain insight and to expand the opportunities that are, that are in front of us. So if I'm given a new initiative to lead or a new team to lead, I can use my intuition to sit with and listen to that inner guidance that helps me do a better job, see farther, plan better. And it goes, intuition is meant to be used hand in hand with our logic and our discernment. Intuition goes hand in hand with business sense, with leadership. Intuition goes hand in hand with curiosity and compassion. There's so many directions I want to go uh, now. Uh, one of them I'm just going to note that recent research into how the brain works and how people work and how connected all the realms of our being are have really changed our understanding of our anal our analytical thinking and the other ways to approach things. And it turns out that um, being analytical is just one small part of our ability to perceive things and to process things, right? And so all the things we're learning about psychology now is that part, even if you don't have any spiritual um, leanings or belief system that you want to tap into, science says that um, we are people who are, who can learn to be curious through lots of ways and our whole being, our mind, our body, our, our emotions, all are able to pick up information. Is there kind of a convergence on how we're now looking at how people function and what you're calling intuition? Yes. Uh, one of the things that happens when we shut down any part of ourselves, any time we shut something down, the path becomes narrower. When we allow, 
we allow intuition, we allow strategy, we allow skepticism. I love skepticism. Hooray for skepticism. Healthy skepticism helps us ask the questions that move things forward. When we allow all that together, we live richer, fuller lives. We're seeing we're at a time in our in our history as a society when things are being broken down into smaller and smaller, narrower and more narrow pieces. And when we do that, we limit our potential and we limit our performance. If if I'm running a business at this time, if I'm thinking about my career path at this time, it's a time when I don't want to limit myself or try to kind of package myself in a way that I feel like everyone will see and immediately accept me. Now's the time to go kind of broad and deep in what we do. So I love that research that you that you cite. Our intuition is an it's not even extra. It's a part of us that we often ignore that can bring so much richness and fulfillment into our lives. Yes, I I um I think that makes so much sense. And I want to focus in on something else I noticed when you were um, talking just a minute or two ago. You were describing how you experience intuition sometimes. And I noticed that you experienced it in the sense of asking questions in in the way you were describing it, at least. And that really um, caught my attention because I became more conscious of intuition when I started coaching, because coaching is about asking questions. And what I noticed is the more I just went with my gut and um, followed my curiosity about the person, maybe there's empathy and compassion there. As soon as I followed my gut more and looked in a less structured way at the questions they rise coming into the conversation, the better I got. That for me, intuition often takes the form of questions. Is that pretty normal? It is normal, and everyone experiences their own natural intuitive ability in their own way. So the questions you ask and that little prompting that you feel before you ask the question, Bev, that little whatever Mm -hmm. it is for you that lets you know what question to ask, that will be unique to you. Nobody else is going to feel it like you do. And that warmth with which you pose the question then may trigger kind of an intuitive response in the person you're coaching so that that person, if they're open to it, can let themselves be led and opened by your question so that their answer then also expands the conversation. Does that make sense? So intuitive intuitive work or intuitive listening, like coaching, is a two-way street. It's a give and take It's not, um, at least the way I work, intuitive guidance isn't about me giving all the answers and the person going, okay, thanks, and then going away. It's in conversation. It's asking the questions where we get the most interesting information. That makes perfect sense to me. And then that brings me to the workplace again, because we are in a time not only of transitions, and that's certainly true, but we're in a time of, of pain and uncertainty for many people. And the things that we need in leadership in so many situations today is compassion and empathy and understanding and awareness. All of those things are so critical 
um, in in leading organizations during difficult times is a path to developing compassion and empathy. If if say you're a leader and and you kind of agree with this in theory, but you don't really know what it feels like, is a, is a path toward that. It, it, um, maybe is to focus on what your intuit your intu- intuitive um, messages feel like when you get them. Those little tweaks that say, you know, what about this? Is that a way to develop compassion or empathy as a leader? Well, compassion and intuition are linked. They're also two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, Developing compassion as a leader starts, everything starts always with ourselves. And I can't hold kindness or understanding for the team that I lead unless I have developed a practice of holding some kindness for myself. We're always nicer to other people than we are to ourselves, or almost always, or at least I am, right? I'm horrible to myself and nice to other people most of the time. But that practice of compassion starts by allowing ourselves to be okay with who we are, to be a little bit kinder to ourselves. And one of the things that happens when we start to practice compassion for ourselves, that naturally opens things up so that our intuition, that extra knowing that I just knew she was the right fit for the job, or I knew it was time to go, it allows space for that to flow in. Otherwise, we shut that down with harshness often. I did that for the first 40 years of my life. Oh, that can't be right. Oh, that's nonsense. Oh, stop it, you big unicorn lover. What's the matter with you? We shut it down. And finding that compassion helps us first for ourselves, then that helps us use those gifts for other people. As a leader, and I work often with people who are heading large companies with multiple teams and multiple layers of activity and multiple strategies, it's hard to be compassionate for people when they are feeling separated and scared and alone and unsure. And it's hard to be compassionate for ourselves when we are feeling separated and alone and unsure. So the first step is to address those things in ourselves, so that we can then project that confidence, that insight and that compassion out to our team so that we can get whatever it is we're there to do so that we can get that done. be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. agree that taking care of other people starts with yourself, starts with caring for yourself and being compassionate with yourself, that um, well-being, including self-care for all the realms of your being, is sort of a a, a critical um, base for developing all your, your leadership and your collaborative skills. But 
I'm now thinking, all right, say somebody agrees with that in theory. We have listeners um, wondering, all right, how, how do I do that? And I'm, I'm thinking that it's always good to have some good starting points for being gentle and caring of yourself. And one of them I've noticed um, that, that you certainly have explored is meditation. Can, can you explain how that fits in the picture of your practice and in your own practice for yourself? Um, I want, I'd start even at a deeper level in meditation. For listeners who are wondering, how do I find that compassion? How do I find a moment? It starts with a breath, one single breath. It's free. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to put on special clothes or ring the meditation bell. You don't, mm -mm. all you need to do is commit to stopping and taking one mindful breath for extra credit, three mindful breaths. One of the things when I'm working with people to help them develop spiritual practices, daily intentional things that they do to stay connected, one of the things that I hear often is that people want to jump right into meditation. And that's daunting and it's got a lot of baggage around it. Meditation's wonderful, can be heaven or difficult, but it starts with the breath. So I would guide listeners who want that deeper connection to catch themselves in a moment of quiet and consciously breathe. Well, what does that do? It's just breathing. What it does is that it sets the energetic stage for you to know that you are present. If you are in a busy workplace, if you have a lot of responsibilities, if people are looking to you to lead, you must be able to lead from that present moment. You can't be leading from what you're afraid is going to happen or what might have happened yesterday. You lead from that place of presence. And breathing, that single breath, is the closest, the fastest way, the safest way, most free way. You can do it anywhere and nobody's going to know what you're doing, that you can bring yourself into the present moment. From that place, the practice of presence, I tell my students sometimes that breathing thing, that's a gateway drug because <laughs> once you start doing that, you're going to want more. Yeah. When you want more quiet, then yes, you can begin a practice of very simple heart-based meditation, mindful breaths into the heart center, repeating something like, I am here, or I am open, or all is well. And that can lead you into deeper and longer practices of meditation. Um, for me personally, my personal spiritual practice is a mix of breathing and quiet meditation, present moment mindfulness meditation, because I tend to I leap forward. I tend to project. So I always need help coming back into the present moment. It's a mix of that and the structure of my Episcopalian roots and training. So the daily office from that tradition's book of common prayer is a daily pattern of prayer and reading that helps give shape to my life. But that's not right for everybody. Everybody can breathe. There are apps for breathing that mm -hmm. um, have you that can kind of talk your way through having um, a breathing in and holding and breathing out and holding, but you don't you don't need that. Even though there are free apps, the the thing I think you emphasize that um, I I think is so important is that you be conscious of it. And the great thing is that you can kind of tune out a little bit and notice your 
breathing and kind of feel it coming in and feeling it going out. And you can do that in a crowded room or on a Zoom call. And um, nobody can take that away from you. So it's so portable, this awareness of breathing, breathing, isn't it? And it doesn't require allegiance to any particular teacher or thought process or spiritual path or what your beliefs are about. All it requires is that you come home to yourself. That's, that's, all, that, that's all that you need to do. And one of the challenges, I was talking about how in the world today, things are getting narrower and narrower and more and more divided. One of the biggest calls that, that I see and feel in the work that I do is a call to help people come home to themselves. When we um, rest in our own power, our own goodness, our own compassion, our own light, we naturally make choices that help heal some of the divisions that are out there. That includes in the workplace, the way we treat other people and the way we treat ourselves. So what about people who feel as though they have no spiritual connection? They have no spiritual um, practice and they're a little nervous about the, the word even of spiritual, but they still feel this yearning, a desire to connect with values and people. Can we put that word aside so it's not scary and and talk about um, other ways to get at what we're talking about, including maybe small rituals or um, writing about what you're feeling? Or are there techniques for people who are a little nervous of being pushed onto a spiritual path. Oh my gosh, yes. And here's the here's the most important part. You when you're talking about coming into the present moment or working with intuition or developing compassion, you're not taking something outside of you and reaching for it and trying to drag it and pull it to you. Everything I'm talking about today, intuition, compassion, breathing, mindfulness, all of these are things that you already have. So nobody can push you onto a spiritual path. There's so much trauma and badness and wrongness done in the name of spirituality. And on the other hand, so much like vagueness and fluffiness and what the heck is that done in the name of spirituality, that it's important for you to remember that you and only you are walking your path. So nobody gets to push you on a spiritual path. If you want to put that word aside, you might focus on things like the idea of service, for example. That daily practice of breath is a service to me, and it helps me serve in the world. No matter what we think about, in quote, spirituality or what our experience has been, we all are good people wanting to make the world a better place. How can I serve? How can I open up to more service? Something that helps that I have found is a helpful practice sometimes for people who carry trauma around, in quotes, religion or spiritual practice or resistance to those practices is to begin to do a practice or a little ritual that allows you to be engaged physically as you are also engaging mentally and emotionally and intuitively. So walking a labyrinth is one of the best, or walking meditation of any kind, is one of the best things somebody can do to start to engage that, in quote spirituality muscle, 
without any baggage. Labyrinths are lovely because of course it's they're not a maze. It goes around and around and you always end in the center. If you have a labyrinth near you, go walk that labyrinth. Just breathe as you walk. Feel your body moving. Feel yourself connecting with the earth that you walk on. That's a beautifully restorative practice and it doesn't ask anything of you other than to show up for it. And if you don't have a labyrinth, go walk in nature. Have that same kind of grounding experience. Writing can be, I teach a process that I call guided writing. That's a process where you set an intention and then you just write for three minutes. It's like free writing, but with that intention that I'm doing this writing to connect energetically with what I would call my guides, my my team, my spiritual support team. That's not meant to be scary or unicornish. That's just, that's kind of how I, how I think of it. That inner knowing that what Sark would call your inner wise self. The practice of writing is wonderful, but if you know you have baggage about writing, if somebody's told you you're not a very good writer or you didn't spell this right, or gosh, that's messy, a writing practice might not work for you. So choose a practice that matches what you already enjoy and do that freely because no one can force you. I'm going to describe a sort of an experience that I had also starting coaching um, and see if maybe this makes sense uh, and is consistent with what you're describing. When I left law, I uh, wasn't going to go after clients the way we did in the law firm, which is to grab them, to get them, to convince them. You know, it was a very rough and tumble process sometimes going out and getting clients. And what I found as a coach is that that doesn't work with this kind of practice, that the way I found early on um, I could attract clients was to change myself. And so I became not a grabbing machine, but I tried to be kind of a magnet. And the way I became magnetic and attracting clients was to take care of myself and just be kind to myself and relax and breathe and um, and know the service I wanted to put out there. And then the clients started to come. And I know this um, may not make sense to uh, people with other kinds of businesses, but for me, ever since I started, it's always work. Whenever you know, I, I wasn't sure things were going right, or maybe a you know a big contract finished or something. I always have just tried to put myself in the state to be of service, and that seemed to work. Is is that part of what? Um, you're describing. It starts with self-care and putting yourself in shape for intuition and success and all those things to happen. Yes, it takes it takes real courage to show up with authenticity and transparency to be of service. That takes courage and that courage is built from your inner practice of compassion. So yes, when you are talking about magnetizing your path, I want to bring, I'm bringing success to my business. I'm bringing harmony into my family. Part of the way you magnetize that path is by showing up courageously with authenticity and transparency. And that, as as I feel it, applies if I have a business where I'm selling widgets or if I'm 
offering intuitive guidance to people, or if I'm a lawyer, if I show up as I am, people will be drawn to what I offer. The people who resonate with what I offer will be drawn to it. I don't have to grab or chase or pretend. All I need to do is continue to show up truthfully. It sounds easy. Of course, it's devilishly difficult because as people, we love fooling ourselves and twisting it around and questioning ourselves and being anxious, but it it takes courage to do that. And the foundation for that courage comes from some of the practices we've been talking about. That is so helpful. Well, Karen, I... I love talking with you. And I always start out thinking I'm going to go in one direction and then we go in other directions. Uh, I think we're about out of time, but do you have any suggestion for listeners today who might feel like, oh, this is interesting. I I want to learn more. Um, can you mention your side? I know you have some free activities. Can you can you point them in a direction for learning a little bit more about what you do and about the kinds of things you do? Um, so you can always find me at karenhager.com. And that's where you find the classes that I'm offering. You can book a session. You can dig into my bio there. Um, There are a couple of classes available for download. And I'm always teaching new. I love to teach live um, because I love the energy of that. So uh, there are always new live classes popping up. So that's at karenhager.com. The most important and the best thing you can do to start to connect with your own intuition is to start to listen to yourself. Give yourself some credit. The next time you wake up in the morning thinking, you know, today I really should, before you shut yourself down, see what happens if you act on those little knowings, those little nudges. See what happens if you compassionately allow that deeper knowing, which is yours and which is unique to you, if you allow that deeper knowing to work through you. That's the best way to open up to your intuition. You can take classes and connect with people like me, but the very best thing is the work that you do yourself. And you always do that from your own unique individual standpoint. That's why nobody can push you into anything. You already know who you are. It's just a journey of discovery. Thank you. That is wonderful advice. It's great talking with you again. I hope we have another opportunity to talk before long. Thank you, Karen. Wasn't this fun? Thank you. Today, we've been talking with Karen Hager about tapping into your intuition. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that not all decision-making should be analytical and linear. Sometimes, it's important to notice your gut feelings. I am so pleased you listened all the way to the end of this episode. And if you do enjoy Jazzed About Work, please help me spread the word about our show. 